Only when I scroll up and I can't see you guys. Yeah, me neither. I'm going to roll it. Let's get going. Welcome to episode 12 of the Critical Social Worker, a revolutionary storytelling podcast. My name is Christian A. Stetler, and I'm a professor in the Department of Social Work at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And this morning, I'm broadcasting live from Auk Bay down in southeast Alaska, just outside of Juneau. I always give a little update on the weather. My name is Christian A. Stetler, and I'm a professor in the Department of Social Work at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And this morning, I'm broadcasting live from Auk Bay down in southeast Alaska, just outside of Juneau. I always give a little update on the weather. I think it, spring is indeed here. The weather's been, had been, I think it, spring is indeed here. The weather, 50 degree range, uh, although it's, it's, just, it's been much more cloudy and rainy this year. Um, you might be able to see behind me, as, especially as the weeks move forward, the, the whales are back in town. And so orcas have been passing through. My backs have been playing around a little bit out there. Um, but the way you really tell is just by all the tourist boats that follow the whales around. Um, but we're happy to have them back. Uh, feel fortunate to be blessed with uh, being here by the ocean. And uh, this morning, I'm fortunate to be blessed with my two intrepid student co-hosts, Brad and Emily, this morning. How's it, Brad? Hello, I'm doing good. It's going pretty good. Yeah, I can definitely tell it's been spring right now, too. Um, Everything's starting to melt up. Um, I'm glad to be on this podcast with you. Thank you. And how are you doing, Ellen May? I'm glad to have you both. Um, yeah, it's funny because I was just in Fairbanks, and I felt like I got there a week too early <laughs> as the breakup hadn't happened yet. It was just kind of beginning right when we were leaving because I was just in Fairbanks, and I felt like I got there a week too early. <laughs> As the breakup hadn't happened yet, it was just kind of beginning right when we were leaving. Um, but then I looked on the forecast yesterday and I saw that we flipped we flipped spaces. Fairbanks, it looked like it was like 60 degrees next week uh, for a few days. So it's interesting how fast that happens. Um, um, but then I looked on the forecast yesterday and I saw that we flipped, we flipped spaces. Fairbanks, it looked like it was like 60 degrees next week uh, for a few days. So. It's interesting how fast that happens. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, the last day that I left, you know, that's the, that was the sound, all the water dripping off the, the roof. Um, well, all right, all right. Uh, our special guest this morning is my old friend, uh, Melissa Bynum, a.k.a. Mel. Uh, from, well, not from, but she's lived up north in the Arctic in Utiagovic, formerly known as Barrow, for nearly 30 years. And uh, she leads a Zumba class up there, among other things, which we'll be uh, very excited to talk with her about in a moment. Everything she's been doing up all these years, uh, these decades to keep herself well and healthy. And uh, yeah, we'll get to Mel in just a few minutes. We've got a great episode planned for this morning, and we can't wait to get down to it. But before that, we got a 
just a few things that we should cover. Brad? The critical social worker is supported by the social work department at the University of Alaska Fair, uh, Fairbanks, but however, that our, uh, however, we want to be clear, our opinions are our own, and we don't necessarily have all the our value. The speakers are shared by them alone, not just by the departments of the College of Liberal Arts and University of Fairbanks. Right on. Thanks, Brad. And that's important. If you don't like something that one of us says, you know, we could be opinionated folks, then take it up with the individual. Um, we don't, it doesn't necessarily represent the University of Alaska Fairbanks Department of Social Work, College of Liberal Arts or anything else. Um, and you have opportunities to do that within the podcast. If you'd like, there's a chat room or a chat box on the side, or you're welcome to call in later and express any uh, thoughts or concerns that you have. Um, but yeah, uh, our opinions are our own. And with that being said, Emily, do you mind sharing our mission statement? Of course. So the Critical Social Worker podcast unfolds unique stories and diverse perspectives to foster critical dialogue, empathy, and understanding for all listeners. Through storytelling grounded in social work values, we aim to change ourselves and the world one story at a time. Thanks, Emily. And uh, one of the underlying themes of that mission statement is obviously the idea of telling stories. We here at The Critical Social Worker believe that each individual is multi-layered with unique life experiences. We want to help unfold some of these layers through stories that we can learn and grow from, stories that help build critical consciousness. Yep. Um, And I want to give a shout out to the UAF uh, Social Work Program. It's one of the top rated uh, BSWs in the country, affordable, cheap, and state tuition in the world. Thanks, Brad. And it has a, hmm? oh, go ahead. I was just saying, I was just going to say it was the top rated online BSW. I forgot to say online. Yeah, right on. And like he was saying, you can attend uh, the UAF. You can get an, a UAF bachelor's in social work from any in the world, anywhere in the world with cheap, very cheap in-state tuitions, especially in comparison to, you know, some of the other popular online schools like, uh, University of Southern California's online program and others. Um, and if you want to find the Department of Social Work, the best way to find us is just either to look for us on Facebook, UAF Social Work, or do a Google search, and it will take you straight to our uh, webpage. Um, yeah, what about you? Do you have a story to tell? Are you interested in coming on the show as a guest to share your story or to tell your stories? Well, just please hit me up with an email if you're interested or, you know, chat with me on here. But you can reach me via email at castetler at alaska.edu. That's C-A-S-T-E-T-T-L-E-R at alaska.edu. If you want to enjoy The Critical Social Worker, please support us by leaving a review on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts. And you can make, also make sure to follow the podcast on Colin. Right on. Thanks, Emily. Yep. The best way to support us is to leave us reviews and and just follow us and and listen. Um, All right. Well, I think it's that time to get this conscious party started for real. Hey, yo, everyone, gather around. It's story time. Brought to you by the University of Alaska Fairbanks, Department of Social Work, and Conscious Party Productions. You are listening to The Critical Social Worker, a revolutionary storytelling podcast. A conscious party. 
Revolutionizing our minds. Elevating our consciousness. Changing our worlds. Your story. My story. Our story. All right. All right. Well, welcome to The Critical Social Worker, episode 12. And I'm, uh, like I said, I'm joined here by a very special guest, Melissa Bynum, uh, a.k.a. Mel. Call her Mel today. And uh, just as a disclaimer, uh, most everybody on the podcast knows me as Christian. But my middle name is Ace, and that's actually what folks called me growing up because my dad shares the same name as me. And so uh, Mel's one of the folks that actually know me through my family because she was friends with uh, my uncle before we met. And so you'll likely hear her refer to me as Ace. So if you're confused on who Ace is, that's me. Um, some of you might know that already. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, what I felt inspired to talk about with Mel coming on as far as a, a telling a story is just my experience moving up north. Um, and it's actually the second time I'd moved there. My father lived up there for, for years when I was a, when I was a kid. And so I had went up there, I'd, you know, was a troubled kid. And so I basically got kicked out of my mom's place and, and went up there for, I think, a year and a half before I moved back uh, to Utah, where I was from. But uh, later in life, you know, I had gotten in a lot more trouble and went through a lot more uh, troubles, strife and tribulations, things like that. But as I had began, begun to, to kind of transform my life and turn it around, um, I had been working with youth at a treatment center, actually supervised the facility for a while and, and found out that it, not found out, but basically came to the realization that I had nowhere up to go. I wasn't educated. Um, the, I was lead supervisor of the facility already. I did a lot of work for the amount that I was getting paid. Um, and I just determined that, uh, you know, I needed to do something different and kind of two things coincided at once. I had some connections from up north because some of the kids that, uh, unfortunately, I know I understand at this point, but unfortunately, some of the kids were from Alaska and they were shipped down to Utah back in the days. And so I had some connections uh, through recruiters and whatnot up there, as well as I had an uncle who uh, moved up north to what was, it was then known as Barrow. And uh, just looking for a change, I really didn't have many connections in the world. I was very much disconnected from the larger world at that point. And uh, so it was the only place outside of Utah that I really had a connection that I felt like I could go and do something different and uh, made a couple of things happen. I sold everything or gave everything that I had away and moved, shipped a couple boxes up north and uh, um, ended up at the most northern city, most northern town in uh, the United States of America. Um, like I said, it was called Barrow. Then it's since changed back to its traditional name of Utiagovic. But when I got there, even though I'd been there before, I was largely, you know, unaware of what to expect. And I was, you know, very, very naive in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, when you move somewhere to a new town like that, especially somewhere that has a lot of people come and go, it takes a while for people to accept you or to even like pay you, you know, give you the time of day because so many people come and go. Um, and so there's a, a pang of loneliness that comes with moving somewhere like that, even if you do have some connections. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I was very fortunate about when I got there, you know, my uncle was there for about, uh, I think, five or six more months before he moved away. Um, 
but he had introduced me to to Mel and her husband Aiden amongst some other fr- uh, people that I became really good friends with and still have connections with to this day. But uh, you know, I can remember the first place I went with my uncle Jim. We went over and they had a little get together, and I can't remember what we did exactly, but just extremely welcoming and friendly. You know, extending kinship right off the bat based upon you know the familiar re- relationship with my uncle. And uh, but the biggest thing was you know after my uncle moved away. I really got lonely and I don't know if I if I displayed this around, you know, and I covered it up a little bit with partying and drinking and whatnot. But I was really lonely. It's hard to be away from family in a in a different place and and whatnot. And uh, you know, Mel and Aiden didn't have to do this, but they really kept their ties with me and invited me over all the time, uh, you know, to watch sporting events, just to hang out, gatherings. Uh we were just reminiscing earlier about Halloween parties, things like that. And it was really important to me at that time. And I really placed value in those experiences. And, um, you know, I have a couple little stories within this story. You know, uh, my first experience with Fairbanks, you know, I worked for the University of Alaska Fairbanks at this point and went to school there. But, you know, what really, I don't know why. I mean, I, I get it a little bit, I guess. But up north in, in, in Barrow, Fairbanks has a bad reputation. Everybody loves Anchorage and people don't want to go to Fairbanks. And they talk, like, say, if. If uh, the Alaska Federation of Natives was was held in Fairbanks, people would be disappointed. They want to go to Anchorage. Um, and so I had kind of this bad negative viewpoint of Fairbanks. But uh, I got stuck there with uh, with Mel's husband, Aiden. Um, our our flight was canceled three days in a row. We Every time we went up in the air and they did, I think it was because it was foggy or low visibility. We went back. We went back every time. And at this time, I was still kind of recovering financially from all the problems of my past. And so I didn't have much money, even though I, you know, was making good money at the time. I didn't have much money. Um, you know, I think I had a credit card or anything at that time. But uh, Aiden took me under his wing and, you know, he got, uh, luckily my, my job paid for my hotel. But Aiden got a car and he drove me around. He showed me all around the place. It was summertime, so it was nice. Um, took me to the restaurants, paid for my meals, um, you know, just you know, the kind of kindness that's extended that you don't often experience uh, in this world anymore. And so I really, really appreciated that. And it gave me a window into Fairbanks. Um, I had a, a really good experience. We stayed at Pikes, which is exactly where I stay now when, when we have, when I go in and teach for my cohorts. Um, another memory that I have is uh, of Mel's dog. Is it Kiska? Kiska? Oh, yes. Kiska. Yes. Uh, I've always had... It's funny, I've all, I, and a lot of my stories on this podcast relate to animals and my relationship and kinship with animals. But that's another fascinating thing about my time in, in Barrow was that uh, uh, my, a, a couple of my friends had pets, dogs, and I just had really great relationships with them. You know, it was like, you know, I know, you know, many people's dogs are friendly, but I really felt like I had kinship with these animals and relationship. And it was almost like it was necessary for me up there. You know, and Kiska would always be happy to see me when I came over and would come and uh, lie down on my feet and roll around. Just a super, super friendly, you friendly know dog. It, it might have been Kavalu. No, it was Kiska. No, it was a Kiska? Our maybe. burner? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So maybe you can talk about uh, her in a minute. Yeah. But um, that's another story that I remember. And then I hope we can also talk a little bit about, because we're going to talk about, you know, staying well in the Arctic. Uh and one of the things that we can do for folks that have never been up there, don't have any ideas, kind of give a window into how extreme the weather is and the power that 
that it contains. And another memory I have is I went to your house for something. I don't remember what, but it was in the evening. It must have been in like the fall where it was kind of getting cold because it was still like twilight when I walked to your house. And it was cold, but it wasn't that the wind was blowing at my back and I was fine. And I stayed over there for a while. And then uh, when it was time to go home, everyone was like, you shouldn't walk home. You know, it's pretty cold. And I was like, oh, no, I'm, I walked over here. It's okay. I walked home and the wind was in my face. And I don't know if it got colder, if it's just the wind in my face, the wind chill. But I really got scared. Like I was about halfway from, from your house to my house. And my ears were starting to go numb. My hands were going numb. And like I was walking backwards. And uh, luckily, for some reason, Mike was driving on the road. And he stopped and he picked and he's like, you can't walk. You know, I think he was giving somebody a ride home. And he's like, you can't walk here. And he gave me a ride. And it really wasn't that far. Like we're talking about like a mile or something is what I'm guessing. But really saved me from that. So, you know, I hope we can talk a little bit more about, you know, just how extreme the weather is. Uh, but, you know, to turn it over to you, Mel, I just wanted to, you know, talking about the importance of relationships and friendships and kinship and whatnot. I was wondering if we could just open it up by you talking about, you know, how in, in that sense, you know, three decades in Barrow, surely you've had some, you know, you've had pets that have come and gone. You've had friends, important friends. I know many of the ones that I know about have come and gone. Some of them have left this world entirely. Some of them moved down south to the Anchorage area. Um, and so maybe you could speak to that. You know, how have you survived for so long up there with, you know, maintaining relationships and that healthy aspect of your life? Because, you know, you're ostracized in some way from the rest of your family, other than when you're when you're able to travel. You know, how have you done it over the years? How have you maintained, you know, wellness as far as relationships go? <laughs> well, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. And um, that's that is the number one question that I get all the time. How do you do it? Um, it's people like you, you know, that show up on our doorstep or we meet that we we have this connection with and you know you know we did take you under our wing and we would do it again and we do that for everybody it's just um it's just who we are uh how do we do it so you know we've been here for almost 30 years and it is you know living in a small town you have this sense of community uh, we know everybody in town. Um, I was thinking about this the other night. I thought, gosh, you know, a lot of my friends have gone. I don't have, you know, that network of friends that I used to have years ago. Um, and then I went to the grocery store and I was in there for an hour to get, and I just went in to get some eggs and I was there for an hour talking to everybody. And I realized everyone's our friend, everyone, you know, and, and the community is, is, the people in the community are so great. They're so willing to help. Um, they, they, you know, want to know you, want to be part of your life. They want you to be part of the community. And I think that is, that's one of, um, I think that's how part of the reason why I've pretty much survived is because everyone in the community is so great. Um, <laughs> For me, it's, you know, there is a lot of isolation. I, I do miss the city. I miss, you know, being able to go to the, you know, to the mall or go to Starbucks or go out to eat when I want to, even though we have a coffee shop here and we have restaurants and it's much better than it was before. Um, you know, I, I do miss that. 
But I also um, like the fact that I can, um, gosh, I don't even, I don't even know how to express it, that I have, um, I, I, I don't even know how to say, I, I, I don't even, yeah, I, there's this, there's this um, feeling that this is just, you know, just kind of home. I, yeah, I don't. One of the cool things that come out of, you know, and I don't want to diss restaurants or something. It's been a long time since I've been there, but um, you know, is the lack of, of spaces like that or, yeah. or whatnot. And so it, what it means is like some, some of the memories I have of you, in fact, are like, uh, you know, making Mexican food for everybody, you know, very carefully. And, and uh, I'm not saying you wouldn't do that if we were gone, but like, I think it makes it much more important for folks to share food and in, in such a way. And, you know, it's, it's also a part of the Nupiat culture, the communal nature of food and what, and whatnot. And so I think it really, it's really fitting up there. I think that's one of the positives that come out of, out of that is, you know, sharing those spaces is that much more important, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. That's funny. Cause I still make tamales every, every Christmas time. And, and I started doing that. Um, I started doing that because when I moved from, when I moved to Barrow, um, that was one thing that I missed at, at Christmas time. It, well, there's two things that I missed at Christmas time. I missed uh, my mom making um, sugar cookies, Christmas sugar cookies using my great grandmother's recipe and I missed my grandmother's um, tamales. And so my cousin actually videotaped my grandparents making tamales and sent me the videotape. And so from that day forward, every Christmas, um, I now, you know, make, make tamales. That's something that um, I enjoy doing. And I make Christmas cookies from scratch every year. But th those are kind of things that... Um, you by living in a remote area away from your family, you don't have to sacrifice the, you know, those, those family traditions, you learn how to make them and then you embrace them and then you share them. And, uh, you know, same thing like with, you know, with restaurants and stuff. Yeah. You know, you can go out and eat. It's super expensive. I would rather spend my money on a really nice restaurant out, you know, in Anchorage or somewhere else than spending that amount of money on mediocre food. So we usually don't go out to eat here. Um, but we've learned to make the things that we love and we practice and make it and share it. And, you know, we, Aiden's came from an Italian family and um, he, he makes pasta, homemade pasta. And so we have shared that with our friends, you know, They've come over and um, we, we, we do the whole thing. We make the, the Alfredo sauce and we put the dough together and we roll it out and we cut it. And, you know, and that's just, you know, we like to share that stuff with our friends. Our, my heater's coming on, so I hope the noise doesn't drown me out. <laughs> and we can hear it, but no, it's, it's fine. No worries. Um, you know, it's interesting, you know, I like that you mentioned the, you know, the sharing part of the culture, because I, I I mean, there were so many people that generously shared uh, culture and other other things with me while I was there. Uh, but one story particularly comes to mind is, uh, you know, my Uncle Jim and Brittany, they were friends. I'm sure you all were friends with uh, Rob and Jen. Oh, gosh, before. yeah. I really miss them. <laughs> yeah, well, I was with Jim and he, he was trying to make, I think he was trying to make Ponset 
from a recipe from or from from Jen's instruction. But so it was, it yeah. was Jen who passed it to Brittany, who was trying to pass it to us in Barrow over the phone with Jim. But the way that she had uh, re- received the recipe was not like in, you know, like one cup this and two cups this. It was like two seconds of soy sauce. And if that makes sense. And so I yes. remember Jim being like, well, what does that mean? What if I have a big bottle or a little bottle or if it has the little thing on the cap? And But it's just such a beautiful thing that those things were able to be shared. And, you know, I know that they made, they had made Ponset for, of their family in Utah. Um, and they yeah. had taken pride in that. So it's really cool how those kind of, how those kind of things work um, culturally when it's when you're in a place like that, where there's so many, uh, you know, yeah. people interwoven and intertwined from different places. I'm um, including those that are from, uh, you know, that have been up there forever. Uh, so I was, curious before we get into some of the more important stuff you know we were talking about kiska and i was just curious if you could talk about uh any importance of your relationship with animals up there because you know there are there is wildlife in in utiagovic and barrow up there you know you can I've, I've seen a couple polar bears i've seen caribou on some occasions you meant you we were talking about how the songbirds had just arrived up there now uh what else have i seen up there you know the a few sea animals seals uh things like that uh, mosquitoes that could pass for, for small birds. Um, but you know, it's kind of lonely out there and that's part of the power of that. I was talking about earlier, the power of the weather, you know, not everything can survive, um, in, you know, in such extreme, such an extreme climate. And so I was wondering, you know, a lot of people rely on pets for companionship. And, you know, I was wondering if you could speak to the importance of that and maybe, maybe even tell us a story or something. Oh gosh, there's so many of them. Um, (laughs) so unfortunately, so for those of you who don't know, my, my, our dog Kiska is a, she was a Bernese mountain dog. She was the most beautiful dog I've ever had. She was so kind and so loving and just was everybody's friend and was accepting. And when, uh, you know, part of uh, having an animal when you're living in, uh, you know, in a remote place, when you come home, you are so stressed. And when that dog meets you at the door, their face, you know, they're, they're wagging their tail and they're so excited to see you. All of that stress just goes away. You know, I remember when she was a puppy and um, I had her, I couldn't go home at, you know, I, I was always worried about her. So um, we kenneled her. And uh, when she was a puppy, I couldn't go home and let her out at 10 a.m. And I did, couldn't go home and let her out at three. But what I did do is I put the kennel in the car and um, the, the heater is still going on. If you can hear, hopefully you can't hear it. Okay. So, um, so I put the kennel in the car, put her in the car. And then on my break, I just would walk out and I would let her out of the car and take her for a little walk. And then I would put her back in and, um, you know, just petting her and just, you know, seeing her at those breaks just made me feel so much better. I was able to go back inside, do my work and then, you know, um, and then take off. But she, uh, she was really great to have. Unfortunately, we lost her, um, just before the pandemic started and we haven't had another dog since. Um, but part of the reasons we don't have a reliable, we don't have a vet or we don't have a vet here now, so I didn't 
we didn't want to really have a, another pet, which has been really hard. Um, but one of the stories that I have, and she was just so amazing, is my friend Charlotte. Um, she would, Charlotte would babysit her, and Charlotte would walk her home every day. So Aiden would walk her to work. He'd put her little packs on, and he'd say, all right, we're going to work. And they would walk to work from the house. And by the time um, they got to work, I would go and pick her up, take her back to the house. And um, this is when she was older. And it was all year round, including the winter when it was 30 below. So please, you know, she was fully coated. So she was warm. She was not cold. I want to be very clear about that. At 30 below, she was not cold. She was happy to go to work. So, um Anyway, uh, I would go pick her up, take her back to the house. And then after like about, I don't know, about four o'clock, I would uh, go pick her up and leave her in the car. And Charlotte would walk her home from from the public works building. And uh, one one day it was bliz the bl it was we had a really bad storm. It was a blizzard. And I said, Charlotte, I don't, you know, I don't know about this. I don't think that she should, she, sh you guys should walk. I'll just, we'll just take you home. And Charlotte was very insistent. She said, nope, I'm not, nope, I'm going to walk. I'll either walk with her or I'll walk without her. And I thought, oh gosh, I don't want Charlotte walking home by herself, but she's going to walk regardless because she's st stubborn that way. So I went and got Kiska and I said, all right, well, you guys be careful and we'll be, you know, we'll be right behind you. <laughs> so Charlotte started walking Kiska and Charlotte told her all just take me home. Just take me home. And they started walking. When they got to the main road, Kiska sat, waited for Charlotte to tell her, okay, so she can see the cars coming back and forth. And but Charlotte told me afterwards that she didn't, she couldn't see where they were going. And it was only for the fact that Kiska stopped at the main road when she finally realized that they were, they were at the main road and they got all the way home. And um, yeah, Kiska was, she just pretty much guided her all the way home. Yeah. She was, she was a really cool dog. The funny thing about living in Barrow and you know, there's no bugs here. So except for the mosquitoes in the in the summertime and like big flies and bees and stuff. But since Kiska grew up here, we would take her to California with us. And uh, <laughs> one day uh, we were um, one day we were I think we were at the river or something and these butterflies were flying around and one landed on her and she freaked out. She, she jumped up and ran. She had never seen a butterfly. She had never seen like chickens. She'd never seen birds. Every time she'd come across a feather, you know, they were, it freaked her out. Turkeys freaked her out. It was the funniest thing. Yeah. It was just like one of the kids growing up here who were afraid of anything, spiders, bugs, you know, flies. She was afraid That's, of all of that. It's funny that cause she, she was so afraid, but for those of you that, you know, are unfamiliar they're really big dogs and she was really big and yeah. she was just like, so, I mean, if anything, she was just, she was unaware of her size because if she was dangerous yeah. and it's just that she might roll into you or wag, hit you with her tail or something. But um, yeah. it's funny that she would be afraid of such things because, you know, she's yeah. just a big gentle giant, I guess you'd say. Uh, but thanks for sharing that story, you know, of, of her guide and Charlotte home. Um, 
it just, I think it's just such a badass, powerful story. And, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, I try to do this on this podcast, but I'd really like to get back to where we have more of a relationship and kinship with animals and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And so I think it's important we talk about those things in this future, this world, we don't really know what's going to happen, but you know, uh, like you said, if you have a, a, a friend like Kiska, she'll always be there to, to greet you and always be happy and, and grateful for your companionship as well. And that means a lot. It's like yeah. a reciprocal relationship, you know? Um, yeah, well, I thought we could shift over and talk about, you know, some more important, serious stuff. Um, one of the things about living up north is that, you know, people, if, you ha- if you're unfamiliar um, with the Arctic... You've heard, definitely heard rumors of the, you know, the midnight sun, 24 hours uh, of darkness. It's one of the first questions that I had always gotten when I'd said, when I'd said I lived up there, even living down here. That's what, that's what people often ask me is about the midnight sun or 20. Is it true that it gets dark for 24 hours? But for one, uh, just to add some context, Alaska is gigantic. And so like asking about one part of Alaska could not mean very much for another part of Alaska. I'm, I would guess right off the bat that I'm 2000 miles away from Mel. Mm-hmm. So, maybe more than that um but up there you know one of the key aspects of being able to survive maybe not survive but being able to thrive would be taking care of yourself and and i don't mean just in the in the natural sense everybody has to take care of themselves to you know to, to different degrees depending on their health but up there you have certain things to factor in is one you know so in comparison where I lived in Honolulu, you know, mm-hmm. Honolulu, pretty much 365 days of the year, even on the bad ones, maybe unless there was a hurricane, you could go outside and enjoy the weather to, to some degree uh, and breathe the fresh air and go outside and interact with folks, get exercise, whether that's directed exercise or just getting out and walking or swimming. But if you were up north, even in the July, there's a chance that you couldn't enjoy outside because of the weather. But for sure, you can't get outside, um, you know, without extreme caution or without, you know, extreme know-how, uh, you know, that the, the Nupiak folks up there have. You can't get outside for that exercise, for the, for the air. You don't get the vitamin D from the sunlight. You don't get the sunlight waking you up in the mornings. And most of us, no matter where you're at, have experienced that to some degree. I knew that I used to bother me in Utah, you know, where we were just down to like eight hours of daylight a day, and it was hard for me. Um, so if you don't pay attention to those things and you don't take care of yourself, you could easily end up very unhealthy. You could find yourself, you know, using substances without, you know, uh, any regard or maybe, you know, without the care that you need um, to use them without them taking over your life. You know, you have potential depression, although that happens in the summertime, too, for different reasons. Um, you have less, when I, I mentioned getting outside, but there's also less opportunities for exercise. Now, to give uh, the city of Barrow and Utiagovic credit, you know, they, they do make things very accessible, like the high school gym and they have Paragovic and things like that. So you can do things like that. Um, but largely, you know, you have to create things, create things for yourself. A lot of people work out in their homes. A lot of people have, uh, what do you call those things, the happy lamps that, that try to, you know, um, st- stimulate sunlight. Um, but it's hard. And, uh, you know, if you're not getting out on a vacation, then you have to, to, to create those opportunities in those spaces for you. And so ever since I've lived there for a long time, Mel's been doing, uh, Zumba classes. Um, and, uh, 
She does it through a grant through the Arctic Slope Native Association, but we're not going to talk too much about that right now because I know uh, our co my co-host Brad wants to talk about it. But uh, first of all, you know, how did you get into that? Were you into exercise and wellness before that? How did, how did that all come about? So, um, yeah, growing up, I didn't play sports. I didn't do any of that kind of stuff. It was until like after I graduated from high school, um, I started running and, and working out. And um, so when I, I used to live in San Francisco and I started running and um, that high that I got from running, I really enjoyed it made me feel great. And when I moved to, to Barrow, um, I continued to run, but then I couldn't, I couldn't run during the winter time. And so then I had to, you know, run indoors on a treadmill, which is not much fun. And, you know, it, it does, it's not quite the same because you're not getting that fresh air. So, um, somebody in town, one of the chiropractors in town started a step aerobics class. And so I started joining their step aerobics class and then he left and, um, uh, we had a group of us who, didn't want to stop, but there was no one else in town that could provide that type of exercise or, or anything like that. And we used to do it inside the chiropractor office. So um, I thought, well, how hard can it possibly be? If I can do and, you know, I'm not going to go out of town to go to classes to take, you know, to, to, for a group fitness certification. So I started looking online to see if there was anything online I could possibly do. And I did find something. And so I worked to get my group fitness um, certification and the chiropractor was kind enough to film me while I did my step routine. And so I can, you know, anyway, um, so I started teaching step aerobics at the city of um, Barrow. And um, then, you know, I had some problems with, um, you know, with my back. I had some physical, you know, issues going on. So I had to change things, but I didn't want to stop exercising. Because at that point, I realized that the exercise, that endorphin rush, really helped with my mood. And I didn't want to stop. So I had to adapt. And I had to change things. And somebody had mentioned teaching a Zumba class. And I thought, Zumba? What the heck is Zumba? I've never even heard of it before. And Zumba, for those of you who don't know, Zumba is, is pretty much an, it's aerobics, just like jazzercise back back in the day, but it's a Latin inspired, um, it's Latin inspired. So there's different, you know, you've got reggaeton, cumbia, salsa, um, and then there's Caribbean influence and African influence and Mediterranean belly dancing, stuff like that. So it's a, it's all kinds of stuff and it's fun. So I thought, all right, well, it just happened that, that they were uh, teaching uh, or doing a certification for a weekend in um, Anchorage. And I thought, well, I'd never taken a class before. Might as well just jump right in it. And I went and got certified. And actually here, what's the date today? Uh, next week, I'll be teaching Zumba for 11 years. Wow. So how do you decide what to, like, um, you know, how do you, how do you uh, plan your program? Do you, is there like resources that you draw upon yeah. yourself? Yeah. So, um, so as a member of Zumba, uh, they send us songs and choreography. And um, so I go through um, the songs and learn the choreography and uh, put together a routine. It's a lot of work. Um, I, uh, I will usually spend my 
mornings, either practicing a routine or I will um, learn, you know, try to learn new songs, new, a new routine, putting things together. Um, my classes are an hour long. So usually my playlist is about 17 or 18 songs that I have to learn, which is a lot. Um, but then I also want to, um, I incorporate that in my regular fitness routine in the morning. Um, I, I really enjoy strength training. So I've had to figure out um, a way to incorporate strength training in the morning for part of my routine. And then I use the other half of my morning to um, learn new routines for Zumba or practice my current, you know, uh, routine. And then on, you know, on days that I teach class at night, um, I'll do a little weight training in the morning and then I'll do yoga in the morning. So it doesn't really tax my body that much. But I found that um, by exercising, there's really that mind-body connection. If you feel good, then your body feels good and your mood is better. You know, um, people ask me, how, God, how come you get up so early in the morning? Well, that's my me time. That is time that I spend for myself. Yes, I have to get up at five in the morning to, you know, to do that. But it's also a benefit to me. I can lay there in bed when the alarm goes off and have a hundred different, you know, excuses not to get out of bed, but I only need one to get out. And that one is, and I'm screaming in my head. I have it. It does it every single morning. That one reason to get out of bed is your day will be better. Your mind will be clearer you will have a much better day if you get up and work out. If you don't, then, you know, then I'm grumpy. I can't think really well. Um, I, my, my energy level is low. So that is, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's a huge benefit for me. And just over the years, it doesn't happen overnight. You don't exercise one day and then realize, oh, I got to get up and do it the next day because, you know, I feel so much better. Well, yeah, you're going to feel better, but it's consistency. You have to be consistent about it. And if you um, and you have to have your mindset, you know, your mind, um, you, whatever you think, your body will follow. So good, positive thoughts, um, feeling good, your body will feel good. And you'll want to do it over and over and over again. Yeah, they say it only takes three weeks to form a habits, good mm -hmm. habits, bad habits. Obviously, it's easier to fall in. Like, for example, it's much easier to, to sleep through the alarm or go back to sleep through yeah. the alarm clock. But that's a habit that you're building. And I, I built that habit throughout my life that I've carried from childhood. Mornings are a hard time for me. But, um, you know, when I, I've thought about this, you know, I've reflected on this so many times, so many times over the years, because I used to struggle with insomnia. So mornings were really a hard time for me. Mm -hmm. Now that I sleep at pretty well, at, well at night, you know, there's still I go through these, you know, I think it's just caught up in the patterns of the past, you know, I'll struggle to get up. But that becomes since I, it was a little bit easier for me when I lived in Hawaii, for example, the daylight's the same, pretty much, you know, mm -hmm. you lose an hour, or gain an hour, summer, winter there. But for the most part, it's the same. So, you know, you're waking up to the daylight. Um, but I've struggled since the two years, I've, the two winters I've spent back in Alaska. And again, let me remind you, I'm uh, thousands of miles south of, of Mel up in, up, up in the Arctic. But still the daylight here, you know, when pretty much when you go to sleep in the, in the summertime, like right now you go to sleep in the daylight and you wake up in the daylight. Yeah. And in the wintertime, it's the same. And I've struggled these last few winters, you know, 
my, the, the time that I get up is much later in the winter. And I've noticed my whole, kind of my whole family struggle with that. So, you know, how have you done that when you, when it's, you know, December 19th and up there and you're getting 24 hours darkness, how do you, you know, do you have any, any strategies? What do you tell yourself and how do you maybe simulate daylight or how do you, you know, how do you wake yourself up and get going and, because surely you've struggled uh, with that at some point over the years. It's hard. It is really, really hard. The only, the only thing that, um, yeah, my trick is keep a routine. So I go to bed at the same time. I wake up at the same time, regardless of if it's winter or if it's summertime. Um, in the wintertime, yeah, my energy level is lower. I have, I, I struggle in the morning to get up. Um, but like, you know, going to bed at a, at a, at the same time every night and waking up at the same time every morning and keeping that routine. Uh, it's really hard, but, um, you have to do it. And the same thing in the summertime. Yeah. It's, you know, we have more energy in the, in the summertime because now we have 24 hours of light, but you still have, you know, if you, if you stay up later, then you're going to be more tired. So we still go to bed at the same time. We still get up at the same time. In our room uh, for the summertime, you know, we have blackout shades and, and blackout uh, curtains. So it's pitch black in our, in our room. Um, and we have blackout curtains in our living room. So during the day, we opened everything up. And then at night, when we get home, we start to close down those, those blackout shades in the living room. And then, you know, try to, there we go again, put your mindset Oh, it's, you know, it's getting darker or it's not, you know, it's, it's getting later. You need to start winding down and getting ready to go to bed. And it's hard. It's, um, it's really difficult, you know, and in the wintertime for me, I, 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 you know, some, my close friends know this stuff, but I struggle with depression a lot. And the only thing that saves me is, is exercise. And keeping that routine and, you know, being consistent every single day. It is work. It is not easy at all. I struggle with it, but it's so important to my well-being that it's, I, I do it every single day. But it's hard, you know, when you've got 24 hours of sunlight, man, there were times when we were younger that we would get off work, jump on the four-wheeler, head down the beach and had a bonfire. And then all of a sudden it's three in the morning. We had no idea. And you had to be at work, you know, at eight o'clock the next day. It's like, oh crap, I can't, you know, we can't be doing this all the time. <laughs> but that's when we first move up to Barrow, you know, and then you kind of adjust and you realize, all right, this is, you know, I, I can't function on three hours of sleep anymore. I need to, you know, I need some more, some more time. Yeah, well, sleep is important too, you know. Mm -hmm. It is. It's important for your well-being. That's when you rejuvenate. That's when you restore, you know, your body and your mind is during sleep. And I like how you emphasized earlier. You mentioned that you know the mind-body connection. A lot of us are taught and think that it's that it, the two things are separate, but you know, and even your emotions and 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 whatnot. Um, you know. Like you said, it's it's really hard to to be consistent and and do it time and time again, but you can almost look at it as a selfish practice, right? You mentioned that you're doing it for you; it's your time, and so really you're doing a favor. You're giving yourself a gift by pushing through, because it does affect every other part of our 
you know, of our mind, of our body, of our experience. And so by gift, gifting yourself that time, that exercise, the breathing in the morning, you know, you're also gifting everybody else because everybody mm -hmm. else at work is getting a better version of Mel. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm exercising, everybody's getting a better version of Ace, a better version of Christian. Um, I'm able to think more. I'm able to focus yeah. more. Like when people are, yeah. you know, even like if you're talking about in a conversation, I have a, a big problem with ADD. I couldn't even, it's funny that I'm a professor now because as a kid <laughs> and as a, even as a young adult, I couldn't even like pay attention for, you know, I'd sit in these things and I'm like, I can't even do it. And then, you know, and I, Things have changed a little bit, but, you know, in my days, they didn't want you to distract you with anything. There were no cell phones, but, you know, even like writing or drawing, you know, you were supposed to be alert yeah. and paying attention. I could maybe be alert and looking at you, but I'm, my mind is, is, has been long gone. And so, and, you know, I still struggle with some of those same problems today. It's better. You know, I'm healthier. I have, you know, mm -hmm. more of a balance. But, you know, if I, like in those winter months, say I, I, I'm, getting lackadaisical or giving up on my exercise routines, my programs. Well, it affects everything. My ability when I'm reading something to pay attention. Uh, you know, I'm in so many meetings all the time with, you know, whether that's leading a class or I have a writing group or staff meetings or whatever. And, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm on point and I'm fit and I'm working out and I'm breathing, I have, you know, these habits, these good routines then I'm able to pay attention. But like when, when I'm not, even if I'm just sitting here, right, I'm not exercising, but like I'm unable to focus. My mind's wandering more often. I feel my, my mind feels fatigued. So I'm just really glad that you brought up the, you know, the mind body connection. Um, what have you noticed in people that you're, you know, that, that are participating in Zumba over the years? You know, have you noticed differences in folks that you've seen? Have they reflected those, the, the importance of, you know, of, of being able to participate in something like that to you? Yeah. Yeah. I have noticed it. One thing I've noticed is that, you know, there, some people are fitter. They're, you know, they, they've lost some weight and they feel much better about themselves. And so when they first came into class, they were, you know, just kind of, okay, I'm here. I probably can't do anything. I'm not sure, you know, how this is, how, you know, I don't know if I'm going to like this. They're not very confident. After they've been in my classes for a while, um, they show up proud. They're happy to be there. They're super excited. They look great. They feel great. And they can't wait to, you know, to get moving. So, yeah, I've, I've noticed a big difference. Yeah. And so just to circle back a little bit when you were talking about, you know, preparing for it, it's a lot of work. You know, you have to prepare on your own. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to listen to the music and be familiar with what you're going to teach. And that's a lot of work, you know, um, not just in itself, but, you know, when you have to do something like that, you said twice a week, you know, but when you're doing something like that constantly, you know, when you even like a good comparison is this podcast. Well, after this, after we talk today, you know, I really have no choice but to start thinking about the next one because there's going to be somebody else. Yep. And so, you, it, you know, and it's fun and I enjoy it, but it's a lot right every week. You know, it doesn't yeah. stop. It keeps rolling. So all that work and, and, and why do you do it? What do you get out of it besides the exercise? What do you get out of, of, of leading these things for the community? Uh, that's it is that I, I can participate in the community. I'm providing a service to the community, which makes me feel really good. Um, you know, my day job is yeah, I'm a project manager and that also that job allows me to help our communities across the slope. And it makes me feel good. Um, teaching Zumba classes, 
uh, helps my community. I'm, I'm fostering that healthy, you know, uh, well-being, um, uh, you know, to every, you know, I'm offering a, a service to everybody that normally would not, um, would not be available. And on top of it, it's free to the participants, you know, through, through the Arctic Slope Native Association. And, and that's even better because then I get more participants because they don't have to pay for it. And, and then, you know, my other side hustle is, um, I face paint. I do, I, you know, I don't, don't even ask me how I got into that, but, um, I, uh, so I, I, I do, you know, birthday parties for, you know, for kids and, um, I, you know, that just helps foster my creativity. Um, I, I suck at drawing. I can't paint on a canvas for anything. My brother and my sister are really talented like that. I can't do that kind of stuff. But for whatever reason, you put a paintbrush and some paints on me and I can do up a face, you know, with, with, with no problem. It, it provides, it provides connection. It gives me a way to connect with the community in a positive way because there are so many negative things in our community, I can provide something that's positive. And that's another thing is that, you know, opening yourself to the universe and having a positive attitude and constantly trying to make things better, um, make yourself better, improve yourself, try to improve your community or what you can offer your community really brings back positive, um, think positively back to you. If you are negative and you practice, you know, negative behavior, then you're always going to be in trouble. You're always going to have problems. You know, it's all woe me, woe me, woe me. Well, and that's a lot of work. That's, that takes a lot of your energy. It doesn't take much energy to be positive. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Let's let's come back to what you said about the universe universe in just a minute, because I got so okay. many thoughts from what you're saying. <laughs> but you, the key word I, I like that you mentioned is it brings about connection. And when you were telling, you know, when you're talking about Zumba, you know, I'm a very visual person. So I see I can just imagine um, a, a bunch of people participate. I could imagine people come in there skeptical, like you said, or not sure. And then and building confidence, I can just visualize it. But then also with the painting the faces with the kids, I can just imagine, you know, because there's not typical places to go um, that you would have in other communities. And so that's got to be really exciting for them. So that's really cool that you do that too. But that word connection, you know, um, a big thing that I've been interested in uh, because I've had problems of my own and I just think it's such a misunderstood topic is that of like addiction and substance abuse. And obviously uh, Alaska in general, the United States in general, but Barrow has a problem. And it's always, it's always had a problem um, as far as I know. I shouldn't say always, but at least upon in, in the, you know, the recent era. Um, yeah, it's had, still does. Yeah, it's, it's had problems. And so many of the scholars that I've that I follow, you know, Dr. Gabor Mate is a good a good example, would say, you know, like we often are treating, you know, substance abuse and addiction. We're just treating the symptoms. We're not treating the root causes. You know, we should be asking instead of why they're using the drugs, we should be asking, like, why the pain? Why all the pain that would make you want to? To, to, to treat yourself that way, basically, like you're saying, you know, the opposite of getting up and doing exercise, you're treating yourself a certain way. Um, well, he would say that the, 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 it can be hard to define addiction, but it's basically the opposite of connection. If you're connected, then, you know, you don't experience uh, 
the need for addiction. And he, there's a good example. There was a, a I think he's still alive, actually, a researcher named Dr. Bruce Alexander, and he's famous for this thing called Rat Park. And what he did is, well, a lot of what we have known about addiction, you know, we, it's from studying rats and uh, animals. And we would give them, we would give rats in a cage, we'd give them, like, for example, heroin-laced water and regular water. Well, the rats in the cage would almost always drink the heroin-laced water until they died or overdosed. Uh, but Dr. Bruce Alexander was like, wait a minute. Um, rats are social animals, just like human beings are. And that's like probably a lot of the reason why they follow us around. Similar, they act similar in a lot of ways. Well, he said, well, if you put a human in a cage and you locked him up in there and didn't have any social relations and some other creature came and gave them heroin or water, they'd probably <laughs> drink the heroin too. So he built a rat park where the rats could have sex with each other. They had toys, they had games, they had food. And the rats almost never drank the heroin lace water and they never drank it spontaneously or compulsively, I should say. They never drank it compulsively. And so it totally debunked that. And so same thing with society. And I think Barrow's a good microcosm, you know, because it's so isolated. Uh, you know, if there's a lack of connection, if people don't feel connected, and this could be to their, to their culture, to their family, uh, to their reality, to their life, to themselves, you know, then it leads to addiction. Mm -hmm. um, and or maybe addiction take addiction is able to to take place and fill up those holes in ourselves, you know, and, and manifest in our lives in that way. And so, you know, I think that's what it's all about is providing opportunities for connection amongst folks, especially, you know, where people can be themselves. But I just, you know, when I'm imagining these stories you're telling, the Zumba, the face painting, I'm what I'm seeing is what I'm visualizing is connection. So I appreciate that you're doing those things. And, uh, you know, by participating in such things, you know, exercising on your own, on exercising on my own, for example, it does fill a gap, a fill a hole in myself. But then when you're able to take some of the positive things that you do and share it with others, and they also share things with you, whether that's stories or you, you build friendships, um, you know, that just circulates. It's the ripple in the pond that helps out communities, you know, and if we were more focused on those things, because although we're, you know, we could also talk about, you know, the history of technology as it affects the Arctic as well. You know, back in the days, you had a delayed phone call moving on up where eventually you got regular phone calls to, mm -hmm. to basic Internet to now you can video comp like we're doing right now, video conferencing. I know. I've got Starlink now. It's freaking awesome. You know, this would probably not happen if on our GCI network. <laughs> yeah, but the negative side of that, you know, is that sometimes people are like this. You know, they're right here. There's people all around them or whatever. Maybe they're in their own home, but you're, you know, you're here mm -hmm. instead of here with, with us. And mm -hmm. I, I don't imagine that kids are on their phone when they're face painting, getting their faces painted. And nor do I imagine people are on their phone oh, when they're doing. Stuff. You would be surprised. They're sitting there. They're either videotaping themselves for TikTok or they're looking up a picture that they want me to put on their face or. Yeah. I see. I'm wrong. <laughs> but hey, that's kind of at least. I say at least to take positive out of that, at least they're using it for social purposes. Yeah, they are. You know, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, I just want to, you know, you know, th thank you and say good job, you know, for, you know, creating those spaces where people can connect with each other, for taking care of yourself and for in the essence of taking care of yourself, you've learned how to help other people take care of themselves, which I'm sure helps take care of you in yeah. you know, the big circle of things. Thanks. So I think that that's really cool. Um, 
I think it's a good time right now, since we're talking about Zumba, for us to bring Brad on, uh, because Brad has some questions about, you know, the, the grant that you have through ASNA, oh, um, which is okay. cool that you do that. That's when I moved to, to Barrow, that was my job. I worked for the, as, a, uh, as a behavioral health practitioner for, the, for ASNA, for the Arctic Slope Native Association. So it's amazing how everything's so connected. Mm-hmm. Um, you there, Brad? I am here. Um, so yeah, uh, that grant, I know it's from the Arctic Slope Native Association. Um, can you explain to us what, uh, why they gave it to you? Uh, so, um, (laughs) 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 yeah, they pay me for the classes. That's how they give it to me. (laughs) So uh, their grant, their grant department, uh, you know, runs, runs the, uh, runs the grant through it's a diabetes prevention program and mm-hmm. um they i'm contracted with them as an independent contractor to provide these services a couple of nights a week and then they, they pay me for it so and and they will you know they pay me for virtual classes because i can also do virtual online classes with um with zumba.com um, and, or I can do live classes. It, it doesn't matter to them where I do it or when I do it, just as long as it's available to the community. Wow. That's amazing. Especially with the, uh, online classes. I did not expect that with the online. Yeah. Um, you know, when the pandemic hit, um, Zuma instructors were, you know, that was it. We couldn't teach class anymore. So the best part about Zumba is that they created a platform for their instructors to pre-record their classes using um, licensed material, music material. And then we were able to upload it to their website and share it um, through social media uh, or uh, just, uh, you know, just through their website. And then they were able to create Zoom, you know, a Zoom platform and, and stuff like that. So they, they were pretty pretty good about keeping their instructors and um, classes going during the pandemic. Okay, great. Um, and with these classes, uh, you think this grant has been really effective to help out people preventing um, diabetes? Because I know that there's, or even we talked about that, that there's very prevalent in that community as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good tool to use. I mean, just because you come to Zumba class two nights a week doesn't mean you're going to alleviate your your diabetes. Um, but it is a tool to use to help with um, those folks who who have diabetes. Sounds great. Um, yep, I can definitely just see that. And wow, brain fart there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> And, you know, um, I've seen an increase in my classes, too. So at first, um, there was only like maybe five or six folks who showed up. And now in my classes, I, I'm anywhere between, you know, 12, 15, 15 uh, students or participants. And, you know, if I start getting any larger, I'm going to have to move it out of the parabic aerobic room and move it to a, a, a different location where it's bigger. But, you know, it's, okay. it's it steadily grows. Okay. Did the Arctic uh, Slope uh, Native Association reach out to you, or did you reach out to them about the aerobics? Um, they actually reached out to me. Um, I was teaching at the city for a fee, and somebody had approached me from um, Arctic Slope Native Association and and asked me if I would be interested in, in teaching a class 
on a Saturday. And I thought, well, sure, you know, they were going to pay me for it. So why not? And then it just kind of fostered into what I have now, a relationship with them. That's great. Was it a long process or is it pretty quick? Like what it seemed like you said. It was pretty quick. Yeah. Okay. Once they figured out, you know, um, what, that it was something that their grant could cover, then yeah, it just, it, it just went from there. And I, uh, I think I've been teaching with them as a contractor for, I think three, four years, maybe. maybe well, you just answered my next question right there. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a little bit longer than that. I can't quite remember when I really started working with them. Okay. Well, it sounds like a very great opportunity that they uh, have given you, and I'm glad you take it up because helping out people in your community is amazing. Thank you. Um, well, if uh, if you want to take Christian or to give it to Emily. Yeah, thanks, Brad. I just have one more follow-up question. Do you have um, – Mel, do you have to report or anything? Do you have to report on numbers or yes. yeah. to keep the yep. grant going? Yeah, I have a sign-in sheet, so everybody signs in, and then I send it over to ASNA. Right on. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's that's great. That's the way that grant funding is supposed to work out. And actually, ASNA does a pretty good job at that, at securing grants. And Yeah, you know, they, they do great. When I was there, I worked. A lot of my funding was through the uh, called the Meth Suicide Prevention Initiative. And so but it really was flexible. You know, it allowed me to, to – we put on a health fair. We had softball tournaments with the money, mm-hmm. so – um, it's cool that, that grant funding is able to be used that way. Uh, I want to turn it over to Emily now. You there, Emily? Yeah, I'm here. Um, so uh, you were talking about depression in Alaska, and I was wondering, would you think uh, older people or younger people are more affected? Um, that's a good question. You know, um, I think everybody's affected, and everybody's affected in different ways. I think when you're younger, um, you're not, you, you, you know, you have trouble with your identity. You don't want, uh, you know, you're worried, you're, you're more worried about what people think about you, how you look, how you act. And if it's not the way that you feel it should be portrayed, then, you know, there's more depression. When you're younger, you're out with your friends, you're partying, um, you know, alcohol is a huge contributor to depress, you know, a depressive depression. It's a depressive a depressant. So, you know, that, that also creates more depression. Um, as you get older, uh, like for me, I'm 51 years old and I really don't care what people think about me anymore. So I don't have that, you know, Oh gosh, if I wear this today, is it going to, you know, how are people going to look, you know, look at me if I say the wrong thing, how are people going to feel about me? You know, I think as you get older, you're more confident in yourself. You have more of a self identity and, um, it's uh, you're not going you're able to deal with your depression um, better than when you're younger. It's more difficult. With that being said, um, I have you know, I don't take any medication for that, although I did at one point many, many years ago. And that lasted for about a minute because it made me feel like crap. And I realized that that's not that's that's not who I wanted to be. That's that I could I could, you know, I could. Uh, deal with my depression in more natural ways. But 
I think that, you know, it's, it's mental illness, it's a mental illness and everybody deals with it differently. And, um, and everybody handles it differently, no matter what your age is, you, you just have to recognize that's it. That's the thing I think is you have to recognize that you are depressed and you have to make the conscious choice to change that behavior, to change your mindset to make things better for you. That's the thing is that if you work on yourself, if you make yourself better, you make those conscious choices and make things and you're more and you're positive, then you become a better person to be around. You foster better relationships. You're there for everyone else. It's not, you know, people think that it's selfish. You know, oh, you're just being selfish. No, you're not. You got to work on yourself. You have to be a better person in order to be a better friend, a better lover, a better, you know, parent. I think that is very well said. Um, so also another question I had was um, living in Barrow, it's such a small population and um, is it hard for you to keep like your work life separate from your uh, personal life? Yes, 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 yes. It is very difficult. So I have my work family and I work in a very small department and we are all very close and I love them dearly. Um, but I'm not always friends, you know, outside of work where, you know, we there's maybe a couple of them that I hang out with um, like on the weekend. Looks like we may have lost Mel. Brad and Emily, are you still here? You, you know, yeah. you have um, you have work in in uh, common, and but not necessarily outside activities in common. But it is really hard. I know, you know, pretty much everybody on my work family is, or a majority of family, or my face are on social media with me. So. You know, it's, um, yeah. I don't know. Are we on real time, Mel? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. We had a cutout for a minute. I'm not sure which side it was on, so. I don't know. Um, you did go black for a minute. Yeah, well, I think it worked its way through it. I just wanted to make sure we were all still here. Emily, you still okay. here? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Um, so that was it on my questions. Um, yeah. All right. Thanks, Emily. And I think that's actually a really good topic, you know, uh, the the idea of, you know, like conflicts of interest. Um, when I moved up there, I had, like I said, I had been supervising a, a juvenile treatment facility. And so the boundaries were really strict. You know, you weren't supposed to have relationships. I mean, like, I don't mean like a intimate relationship, but you weren't supposed to have to have contact with the, with the kids after they had left, for example, um, you, they were in, they're obviously in a treatment facility, so you wouldn't see them out in the community. Um, and when I moved up there, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I was speaking to, to a supervisor or something about, 
um, those, you know, like, you know, keeping my relationship separate. And they're like, you know, that's not going to work here, right? Like, you know, you're going to go to the store tomorrow and you're going to see the people that you work with. You're going to go to a party. You're going to do all sorts of things. You're probably going to be on their basketball team. So it's just not going to work for it. You're going to have to think about it differently, you know? And so I think that's important for social workers to think about that the, and think about yourself in your own context, you know, uh, social work values, the values and policies of where you work, do they align with, with your reality? You know what I mean? Because you can say, and you should still have some, some boundaries, obviously, but you may not be able to have them in the same way that you would somewhere else. Um, and so I think it's an important conversation. Have you ever ran into any conflicts like that? So, <laughs> yeah, I kind of have a very unique working situation. So when I first moved to Barrow, um, I worked for the school district as a teaching assistant in the elementary school. And I did that for years and I loved it. I had a great time. When I started working for the borough, years and years and years and years later, um, my first, uh, <laughs> well, my first few days at working for the borough, I was working at, um, for public works. All of a sudden I hear behind me, Miss Ortega, that's my maiden name, Ortega. I was like, that's kind of weird. So I turn around and sure enough, it was a student that I had in elementary school, all grown up on their job, working at Public Works. Now at CIPM, um, my boss and almost all of my coworkers are younger than I am all of which I've had at least one time in my life as a student. So I definitely understand. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's there as a, as a, a teaching assistant or being in the classroom, I was, you know, portrayed a certain way. And now at, that I work with former students who have been extremely successful in their careers, and I've done very well for themselves. And I'm so proud that I have, I've had the opportunity to be a part of their life when they were younger. Um, I still feel that way. I still feel like that person that was their, was their teacher. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah. I, I love the fact that I get to see them grow up be successful, have families of their own. It's, it's a great feeling. Yeah, it's funny. But it's unique. <laughs> it's, a, it's funny because you made me think more about like my, you know, and I said working with the kids back in the days, you weren't allowed. And it was, this was just when like social media was popping off. Facebook was just, just emerging when I left there. But uh, eventually over the years, you know, I did maintain some connections with those kids um, via Facebook and the funny thing about it was, you know, I was kind of late in life as far as family and kids and all that stuff. And all those kids I used to work with, not all, I shouldn't say all of them, but many of them, you know, began having kids long before I did and starting families and all this and all this stuff. So I think that's been a good and a bad thing for me. You know, I see some of the negative and some of the, and, and many of the positive things when you stay connected. Um, well, I wanted to open it up. We, we do have some guests here. I did see, we did have I think Patty was queued up. I don't know if she meant to be for a call, but if you have a question or you would like to call in like a radio show, just queue yourself up and we'll get to you. 
um, or you can write it in the chat. Um, I, we do have a question already from Heather. Heather says, I'm glad you're doing this. Does the organization you contract with offer incentives to, to, cut, to consumers to get more buy-in from the community to reduce diabetes? Um, I, don't, I don't think that, I mean, they put out flyers. They, I mean, it's, they, they do offer rides to class from, for their employees. Um, so it makes it easier for them to get to class. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we just did a family fun night with, with ASNA and that brought together, I did a class before, um, the kids had open gym. And so that was more exposure that kind of give their parents and, uh, you know, time to go out and, and, and take a class. Um, so it's not, yeah, I don't, I don't think that they're offering any incentives except for their employees. You know, it's free to their employees. They put it out and then they offer rides to, um, to class. What about, are they doing anything regarding, or I'm sure they are, there's somebody's doing something, but some kind of initiatives for, cause I'm thinking about diabetes and, and diet. Um, and I know part of it is just location, which is kind of like, you know, uh, a paradox because a lot of folks eat, uh, native foods, which is, you know, organic, healthy food, obviously. But then the other side of it is being when you, uh, you know, you're so far away from most of the food that's produced that mo- much, I guess what I'm trying to get to is much of the food that you get is old and processed. And yes. so, and that would go, I think that's when we're talking about restaurants, even Well, they're limited and right in what they, what they got and what they can provide for people every day. Cause they don't have access to fresh foods all the time. And so a lot of it is going to be pro- frozen processed foods. And so, and one other side to that that I always thought was a major problem in my times in a, everywhere, but in Alaska, is, is soda. It seemed like soda, so many people were, it was such a big part of so many people's lives, mm-hmm. and uh, including mine back then. Uh, but, you know, being able to, from the outside looking in at this point, I just noticed it was just a, such a significant problem. And it seemed to be like, uh, when, when I say culturally, I just mean like the, the local culture of the time, you know, soda seemed to be like a major part of that, as it is in most most communities. But are there any efforts? Have you seen anything, any changes in that regard over the years or any efforts? No, unfortunately, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a soda drinker. I, my, I grew up on nuts and twigs. My mom was a vegetarian and was always into whole foods and the natural, you know, grocery store. We had to have ground peanut butter that didn't have any sugar or salt or nothing in it. So that when you go to the health food store, that's that contraption that they ground the peanuts in. And we always had homemade bread and stuff like that. And so we were never really exposed to sugar like that. So we, I never got into soda, but it's a huge, um, it's still huge. Processed foods here are still huge. Um, yeah, it's, and you know, I think that's, that's one, that's another thing that, um, we could talk about too is, is nutrition, you know, all that sugar is so bad for you. I try not to eat any sugar. I, you know, I don't, uh, I try to, to eat as clean as I can. Um, it's hard here because we don't get fresh vegetables and fruits like you can anywhere else. So you have to kind of be creative and, but, um, and what you're eating, uh, and trying to, to stay healthy that way. I think that, um, yeah, there hasn't been much change. If, if, if anything, I see more, more soda, more processed foods, more sugar in the stores. 
Yeah, and this is this is definitely a conversation for another day. But yeah. you, know, you were talking about identity earlier, and one of the things that I've noticed in rural Alaska, especially, is that identity can be an issue because you know, for one, you have people that are from different cultural backgrounds. You have in, the indigenous native population that you know has their their values from the, since the beginning of the time there. Um, but there, it's hard because you kind of are what you see and you kind of are what you, like you could say, like you are the friends you hang around with, for example, mm-hmm. to, to some degree. Um, but much of what kids are taught by these days is television. And now you add in social media and the internet and, and whatnot. But what do you see? Like every time you watch a video or every time you watch a sport, like even if you watch, just watch basketball, for example, like everything you see in between there is somebody telling you that why you should be drinking a sugary or sh- uh, pardon my language, but a shitty item of food. That's not good for you. Mm-hmm. It tastes mm-hmm. good. And you maybe may crave it, and uh, this is now a knock on people that 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 eat or eat these kind of foods or or uh, or drink soda. It's not. It's it's more of a call to to let you know that you've been you've been duped. You know, you've been uh, all these commercials and all these things. Even like uh, you know, we talk about basketball, like NBA players telling you to, they're doing. They're in the soda commercial, and so. You know, you've been duped to think that it's normal, but it's really not normal uh, in the, you know, in the, especially, you know, when you're talking about indigenous cultures and whatnot, they just indigenous folks that have been around. That stuff was brought to you. And uh, what I'm saying is that just be aware of it. Think about what you're doing. The biggest change that I ever made was the moment that I started thinking about it and like didn't automatically make all these changes. And I still eat a lot of crap today. I'm not, I'm, I'm far from perfect. Um, but the moment that change really started to happen was when I began to like, just think about it. Hmm, should I eat this or not? But before I never even asked the question. And I think most mm-hmm. people don't, you're comfortable. We are what we're comfortable with. And if, if the, you know, the cute little polar bear has been telling you to drink Coke, Coca-Cola with Santa Claus for 20 years, you're going to think that positively of that. Um, and so that's not your fault. That's not our fault, but uh, we should take responsibility, you know, and change ourselves in that way. And most people aren't going to listen just by us telling them. So the best we, way we can do it is just to, to do that ourselves and embody that, um, it's my opinion. What do you think about that, Mel, as far as nutrition and what can we do to change that? You, you said it. You have to make a conscious effort. I mean, you have to – I'm not perfect at all. Boy, do, you know, I love potato chips. I love chocolate, you know. Um, but I also – realize that it's, you know, it's not that great for me. And if I want to um, stay healthy, then I, you know, I kind of have to, you know, not eat all that junk. And like I said, I grew up on nuts and twigs. So, you know, when we were, (laughs) when we were kids, you know, my mom would send us to school with, you know, homemade wheat bread with homemade peanut butter. And we had carrots and celery and apples in our lunchbox. And we would have lunch and the kids next to us would have like Oreos and white bread and bologna and, you know, and some kind of juice pack or something. We'd be like, oh, do you want to trade? You, would you like some carrots? Can I have your cookies for carrots? Nobody wanted to trade food with us. <laughs> you know, it was like, ew, what are you eating? Like, ah. but, you know, later in life, when I grew up and I, and I went out on my own and I thought, oh, I can have soda. I can have, you know, I'm going to eat white bread. I'm going to eat that stuff I didn't care for. I didn't like it. So, you know, I, I went back to what I, what I, what I grew up with. And I think that's important. If you grow up with that ultra processed foods 
and uh, and soda and stuff like that. That's what you're gonna. That's what you're learning. That's learned behavior. Uh, if you grow up in a in a home that you know it fosters nutrition and you eat healthy, then that's what you're gonna you're gonna continue that throughout your life. Yeah, it's just so important. You know, you think about it as as fuel. You know, and I think if we looked at it more in that yeah. way than satisfying a desire, and you know, you think about it further. Sometimes, like the three meal thing, doesn't make sense. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't mm-hmm. eat three meals a day. But in the sense, you know, we're meant to be like eating throughout the day to some degree. And so when you, I think when you have that three meal thing is people get hungry in between and they go to what, they're, what they desire, you know, which has been manipulated. You want, you, you know, there's nothing that, you know, draws upon the taste buds more than sugar and salt. So, you know, the Coca-Cola and some potato chips is delicious. You know, it goes well together, ice cream and, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, salt chips, um, french fries whatever and so you got to find things that it's one of the things that i've done is we have little bags of like you know like various you know iterations of like trail mix or berries and nuts mixed together so you're hungry okay you got something to throw in your mouth because before that would have been potato chips for me um you know yep one other thing to me is water uh i never drank water in fact when i used to go to the store and i'd get a water I'd get a, wa- a bottle of water and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm being healthy today. Um, but water is a very normal thing that it, we live with forever and ever and ever and ever. And you have to have water. But I'm always amazed by how many people say that I can't I – don't, I don't like water. I won't drink – I can't drink water. And, again, I'm not criticizing folks because I was the same way. What I'm saying is that you can like water and you can. You just really need to build the habit of that. And uh, once you get – there's nothing yeah. to me more – tasty than water if you were to give me a soda in place of my water when i'm thirsty i wouldn't like it at all at this point yeah i drink water all the time (laughs) yeah coffee and water yeah coffee and water um yeah well we talked a lot about a lot of great things mel um you know and i i you know want to give value to to the many good things that you're doing up there you know the not just exercise, but, you know, lending yourself and creating opportunities for community and connection. To me, that's what it's all about. And we're moving into a world that who knows, you know, artificial intelligence is on the rise. We're at war all the time. The other things are happening. The temperatures are rising. Who knows? Nobody knows what's exactly what's going to happen. But uh, if we're ever to make it out of it or forward through it, then, you know, it's going to be based on how we're able to connect with each other as human beings and maybe even other than human beings, you know, with the land and other other creatures as well but uh you know i really appreciate what you're doing up there um i hope that you know others think about it in this way when i talk one of the themes of this show you know is the term social work too often social work is just reduced to like having a degree in social work and you know working as a in a box that a social work created for you but social work is much bigger than that, you know, and, and anybody doing work socially is, in my opinion, a social worker, whether they want to be or, or not. And um, I think that it's the little things I shouldn't say not to reduce it or minimize it, but it's the little things as in like, you know, creating an opportunity for connection, being there every week for folks, uh, you know, and I'm sure they're there for you, too. You know, you wouldn't keep going if they didn't show up. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just want to say I appreciate the the work and the effort that you're doing. And, um, you know, the last thing I just wanted to say to you, you know, and I've already told you all this before, but thank you for your kindness to me. Um, 
again, it's the little things, you know, there was a lot going on in my life at that time, but being alone at the top of the world, uh, you know, is hard and it's a little bit scary. And so, um, you know, I had a lot of growth that I had to go through from then on until now. Uh, but hell, without, you know, the help of certain people throughout my life, I'd have never made it anywhere. I would have, I would have just been stumped, especially at that time. So I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for, uh, you know, the kindness, the, the kinship, the friendship, the love that you all shared with me. Uh, I felt it from the very beginning, um, and it really helped me and pushed me forward in my life. So I just wanted to say thank you, and I appreciate that. Oh, it was easy. You were easy to love. <laughs> Everybody wouldn't tell you that. You should talk to I my know. wife. I know. I wasn't. When I first met you, I was like, I don't know about this guy. I don't know if he's going to make it. But you did, and I'm so happy that you have a wonderful job, wonderful family, and you're doing so well. So thanks. Yeah, and that's just a I'm testament. I'm glad we were able to, to help you when you needed it. I appreciate it. And, you know, it's just a testament to, like, pushing throughout time. You know, change doesn't come. Sometimes we want change to happen like this, yeah. but change change takes time, you know? Yeah, You don't become fit by getting up tomorrow morning. You get up fit by getting up for 21 more mornings and beyond, um, amongst other things. Well, again, thank you from the bottom of my heart, Mel, especially for coming on this podcast, uh, you know, thank and blessing you everybody. Me with your thoughts and your wisdom and your experiences. I just wanted to give you opportunity for any last words. Wow. Any last words? No, I, I mean, I'm, I was really, really nervous about, about coming onto the show. You know, I, I didn't know what to expect. It's the first time I've ever done something like this, but I'm glad my first time was with you because you made me feel comfortable and I enjoyed it. And um, I'm, I'm really honored that you thought of me as a, as a guest. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for sharing that feedback. That's what I aim to do. So I'm glad that, that it's working out. Appreciate that. Um, what about you, Brad? you have any last words? Um, I just wanted to say thank you, uh, Christian, for having me on the show. And um, thank you for Mel for answering the questions and yeah. uh, bringing some light to all the stuff up in Burrow and uh, your Zumba, Zumba classes. Right on. Thanks, Brad. What about you, Emily? You got any last words? Um, not really. Just uh, thank you so much for this opportunity to listen to all these great stories. Thank you for sharing so much of your personal lives with us. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. So one more big thanks to Mel, our guest, uh, being gracious enough to lend us her time today. Thanks to Brad and Emily. Like I said, my intrepid student co-host, I appreciate your contribution um, to the episode and to the show. And that about wraps it up. Um, you can find episodes right here on the call-in app or on callin.com, or you can find them uh, on Apple and Spotify after they're recorded. They usually go up the same evening. Um, not always. We do have some technical difficulties with you know, recording from so many different locations, especially in remote Alaska. But we'll get them up as soon as we can. Uh, we're broadcasting here live every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Alaska time. So hope to see you there. Next weekend, I have uh, Social Worker of the Year, Lee Bolin. Um, so stop by for that if you can. Brad, 